All right, take your Bibles. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and chapter 4 is where we're going to hang out here for just a little while. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter number 4. Look down with me, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look with, look with me, verse 12, just to get our conversation going this morning around God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth. Let no man despise thy youth. Don't let them don't give them a reason to despise your youthfulness. Youth there is not teenage. It's not adolescence. It's not what he's, it's not what he's talking to Timothy about. Timothy isn't a 14-year-old kid. Timothy's appointed and placed in ministry, and he's saying, do not give an occasion for someone to point the finger at your immaturity in ministry. That's what he's saying. But be thou an example. So, so don't do that, but instead do this. Be thou an example of the believers in word conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Until I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, and neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, give yourself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto thy doctrine and continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Our Heavenly Father, use your word in our lives. Equip us with your word. Fashion us with your word. Build us with your word. May your word go before us. May your word do its work in us. And I pray that we would heed Paul's warning to Timothy here. We would give attendance to a few things. And in Jesus' name, I pray. And all the church said together, amen. amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. You stood, and I didn't even ask you to stand. It's pretty impressive. I contemplated just wondering how long you were going to stand and just jumping right into the sermon. But I let you off the hook. How many of you like roller coasters? Let's see. How many of you don't like roller coasters? Let's see. Okay. I hate roller coasters. Absolutely hate roller coasters. The last roller coaster I was on, I got stuck on. 
I'm sure it was only like a three and a half minutes that I was stuck there, but it felt like 33 and a half minutes that we were stuck there. Can't stand roller coasters, ups, downs, twists, turns. Their whole goal is to surprise you. It's the whole idea. They, want, they do not want you to know what is coming next because they want to turn you every which way, surprise you with ups, downs, twists, and turns in order to cause you to throw up what you ate for breakfast. This is, this is their stated goal. You know you've built a good roller coaster if people get off sick. Now, what else in life is, is this the goal, right? To make someone sick with. Imagine, imagine the pastor saying, my goal in preaching is to make people sick today, right? Not a good pastor, right? Imagine a doctor saying, my goal is not that we would help solve your nausea, but instead that when you leave my office, you feel queasy and you're about to be sick. Now, this, is, this is a distorted person who builds roller coasters. These people need help. And the kind of people who enjoy riding a roller coaster and getting sick also need help, okay? So you know, you need help. Ministry is a lot like a roller coaster ride. A lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of twists, a lot of turns. Ministry is filled with pain and loss and anxiety. But ministry is also filled with triumph and joy and victories. There's a demand placed on you in ministry. There's an expectation required of you in ministry. It's a, it's a daily expectation. It's a weekly demand. It requires that you prepare the sermons to preach. It requires that you develop and train leaders. It requires that you cast vision. It requires that you shepherd and guard the flock. This is the expectation that is placed on you as you walk into ministry. The reality of our insufficiency for the task that God has called us to. This is what is necessary to learn very quickly. You will not know it all for ministry. You will not ever get to a place where you feel as if you're qualified for this, as if you're suited for it, as if you know all the answers. Even the Apostle Paul says, I count not myself to have apprehended. I don't think I have made it. So what do we do with the gap between feeling the urgency and call and demand to ministry life, but also being aware of the reality that we are insufficient for the task 
that there has been placed in us earthen vessels, jars of clay, fragile and frail people. They've been placed in us a treasure, a gift that many are neglecting. The reality of the roller coaster ride in ministry hit me, uh, hit, hit me hard the other day. We were this summer having our vacation Bible school, maybe a hundred kids or so, all wearing the same matching orange t-shirt. Because when you go to vacation Bible school, you all have to wear the same bright colored t-shirt, apparently. So we were playing games and we were throwing water balloons and we were having scavenger hunts and we were doing this whole thing. We're blowing, and, 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 uh, blowing balloons up and trying to pop them. We're tossing eggs back and forth. We're doing this. We're singing these silly, ridiculous songs. And in the same exact moment, my phone rings. I recognize the number, so I step out into the hallway where all the boys and girls are singing in, right, out, right, upright, and down, right. Step into the hallway to answer the phone. And on the other end of the phone is a lawyer informing me that our church is being sued. The up, the down. The twist, the turn. You're standing at the baptism service for one of a uh, sweet elderly ladies in our church who accepted Christ as her Savior a few weeks ago. And we were baptizing her just now, maybe two weeks ago. We have a wonderful celebration of a baptism service. We're walking out on our way to a fellowship luncheon that's, that's kind of celebrated for her, that's being put off for her. And as we walk by the, the alley door, I hear this weird sound coming from the doors that are adjacent to the alley. This is like moaning and groaning, somebody in pain. So he said, quietly walk over to the door, mumbling and cursing and talking gibberish, a bunch of mumbo jumbo, blaspheming. And I listen to it for a second, think, this is kind of funny sounding, right? Then I think, man, we should probably check, make sure the person is okay. We push the door open and look, and there's a woman in the alley, half clothed, having a schizophrenic breakdown because she's coming off of every kind of drug imaginable. And now we're trying to get her away from the church without getting punched in the face. So it's a bad rap if you get knocked out by a crazy woman in your own church building, right? The up, the down, the twist, the turn. You've, you've had your own experiences of this. The joy of going after the calling of God and, 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 and in your life and, and pursuing his calling by way of your education here at West Coast. The up. Oh, demerits, late to class, can't figure out the schedule. The down. The joy of meeting new friends, finding new people, building new relationships. Ah, oh, the up! And the heartbreak, the disappointment, the frustration, the difficulty that comes in maintaining relationship, the doubt. 
Ministry can be this way. There are days when I get to the end of the day and put my head on my pillow at night and I'm not quite for sure what to think. Because ministry is this way, ministry requires, requires courage. Ministry requires courage. You have your finger there. Just keep it there in 1 Timothy for a second. Flip back to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Look what Paul says. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. Never underestimate the, 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 the understanding of the New Testament writers that ministry brought with it a certain measure of Physical exhaustion required, it demanded a particular understanding that we are bearing in our bodies, we're carrying in our hearts, we're running it through our minds, we're, we're sleeping with it, we're thinking about it, we're dwelling on it, we can't shake it sometimes. We're bearing in our bodies this ministry that the Lord has given to us. The dying of our Lord Jesus. But then he also says in the life. I mean, there's the, there's the down, the dying, but the life, there's the up. Go, go forward now to, to 1 Timothy uh, or, or, or on your way to 1 Timothy and make a stop in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse number 1. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord... Now, the reason that phrase doesn't immediately captivate your attention is because probably you have never been a prisoner. And so what we do with the phrase prisoner of the Lord is we spiritualize this thing. and We're, like, ah, we're captive for Jesus. That's what we are. We're prisoners for Jesus. That's, where we, that's what we are. And as close as college can feel to prison, it's not prison. The reason it doesn't immediately jump off the page, prisoner of the Lord, is because you've never been a prisoner. But had you been a prisoner like Paul was a prisoner, this, mean, this would mean something altogether different. He isn't writing in, in some kind of ethereal way. He isn't simply spiritualizing some kind of phrase. He is, in fact, a prisoner. He is, in fact, in chains. He's in a cell. He is held hostage. He's lost his liberties, his freedoms. Why? Because he's preached the gospel of the Lord. That's why. When he says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord, he means it, and he means it in the realest of terms. He means it in the most real way. Prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you, listen to it, 
that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Ministry requires courage. We live in a time where courage is absent. This is not unique to our season. It's just more pronounced in our season. It's more pronounced because we have availabilities of communication. However big the world is, it's actually very small. Walk backwards in your New Testament, get to John chapter 7. I'll show you that it's not a new thing. It's been around for a long time. But John chapter 7 and verse 13, there's a little verse tucked away in the book of John. A wonderful, wonderful book. But there's a little verse tucked away in the book of John that oftentimes we just go right over the top of this phrase. But watch what John says. John says in verse 13, How be it, no man spake openly of him... For fear of the Jews. No one would speak openly for Jesus for fear of what someone else would think, would say. They valued the favor and the opinion of the religious as opposed to the favor of God. Make no mistake, everyone in your world, everyone in my world, is speaking up about what they believe. Everyone will happily tell you their world view. Every time you listen to a song, every time you watch a movie, every time you read a, a newspaper article, every time you read a news story, it has a slant, it has a world view to it. Every conversation, a worldview is being communicated there. And yet no one would speak openly of him for fear of them. And pastors need courage. Christians need courage. Bible college students need courage. Ministry requires courage. They said, uh, everything in 2020 changed. Nothing's the same. Nothing will go back to being the same. And I suppose to a degree that's probably true. That in an instant, while everything changed, at the same time, nothing changed. Here's what I mean by that. God is still God. Sin is still the problem. The cross is still the answer. And Jesus still saves. So it's true, while everything in our cultural moment, everything changed, but it's, it's also we have to recognize what's true. That is, nothing's changed. The expectation from the Lord for you and for me is not changed. It's the same. 
You don't know what God's expectation of you as a person called to ministry is? Land back in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And let's look at it. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And this is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, not given, or, or given rather, to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Or not, not covetous, but one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, well, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without lest he fall into reproach and snare of the devil. You notice something about the list? Let me can tell you how many times I've read this list through. And it's okay, do I have that? Check. I got to work on this. Yep, I got to increase that. Definitely am lacking in this. But, but you know what? All the times I've read through this list, this never really struck me until just a few days ago. I'm reading through this list. You know what's su surprising about the list? Here's what's surprising about the list that Paul says. This is what is required. This is the expectation from the Lord for you and for me. This, this, is, this is it. This is what's surprising. How unremarkable the list is. It's like, don't be a drunk. Okay. And don't go around and get in fights. Okay. And, and treat your family good. Okay. There's, there's really not much about the list that's all that impressive. There's nothing about it that really causes you to go, wow, that is definitely the kind of guy that I would want to follow. Be blameless. Be the husband of a wife. Be vigilant, be sober, have good behavior. Have, have people from the church to your house be given to hospitality? Apt to teach? Not given to wine? No striker? Don't be greedy? Be patient? Don't be covetous? Don't, don't always just want what other people have? Take care of your family? Take care of your children? Don't have pride? And have a good report with people around you? That's it. That's it. You see, you see, this is the gap we were talking about earlier. The, 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 the burden, the call, the responsibility we feel to preach the gospel, to be called, to give our lives, to preach the gospel. But the gap between feeling as if we are not suited for the task. Look at the list. 
Nothing about five-year plans on the list. Nothing about navigating COVID policies on the list. Nothing about being the most wise, most smart, double doctorate guy on the list. Nothing about being creative or fancy or charismatic on the list. Nothing about being talented or awesome on the list. Nothing about being extraordinarily handsome on the list. Some of you should be happy about that. That's it. This is the list. And yet, notice what is required from the list. While the list is remarkably unremarkable, what is required is that you and I would demonstrate an exemplary character of the faith. Really, the expectation that he's laying on the pastor, the, the same expectation is actually to be laid onto the Christian. You just read the list, you're kind of like, well, that would be a person who's a good Christian. And he's saying, right, but you and I ought to be carrying this in an exemplary way. This is what he's going to tell Timothy when you get to chapter 4 and you read, verse, uh, you, you read verse number 12. Let no man despise your youth, but instead, Timothy, be an example of the believers in this. Be an example in this way. In what way are you and I to strive to be examples in? Well, he gives you some of the ways, attendance to reading, exhortation, doctrine, charity, spirit, faith, purity, conversation, word. But I have no doubt in my mind that as Paul writes chapter 4, he's referencing also chapter number 3. And he's saying, be an example in this kind of a way that you're blameless, that you love your family well, that you lead your church, that you love your kids, that you're loyal to Christ that you laugh and you cry with your friends. This is the way in which we are to be examples. Nothing spectacular. And God is not asking you, he's not asking me to be spectacular in this day, in this age. He's asking us to courageously live the way he's called us to live. You don't need to be talented. You need to have the courage to do exactly what God told you to do. You don't need to be awesome. You simply need to have the courage to live the way God called you to live. You don't need to have all the answers. You simply need to have the courage to give attendance unto a few things. Until he comes. Let me give you four ways then. Four ways that we can build courage in our lives. Four ways from this text that we can build courage in our lives. First, accept God's word as your authority. Accept God's word as your authority. Look at verse number one of chapter four. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of the devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, 
Forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created, to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of, of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified, notice, by the word of God and prayer. The Spirit speaks. And just how does the Spirit speak? Paul's understanding of the way that the Spirit would speak in those latter days is by the Word of God and prayer. How do you know what God wants you to do? You get in the Word of God. How do you know the way that God wants you to go? You get in the Word of God. How do you know how to navigate sensitive issues in our culture today? You get in the Word of God. You accept the Word of God as your authority. You stand holy and firmly on the Word of God. You refuse to meet the world on their terms, and you instead choose to approach the world, have conversation with the world, talk with the world on the terms of the Word of God. And people don't just make mistakes. The Bible says people are not mistakers. The Bible says people are sinners. You see a slight shift there? Well, I just made a mistake. A mistake implies ignorance. M mistake implies you didn't know. No, 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 but all men know. The Bible doesn't say, for all have made mistakes. The Bible says, for all have sinned. If it's just a mistake, you can try a little bit better. You can work a little bit harder. You can fix a few things, sharpen some stuff up. If it's just a mistake, you don't need a savior. But if it's a sin, you need a savior. If it's a sin, you're a sinner. If it's a sin, then trying a little harder won't fix it. You see, you see the slight shift, how those go away from doctrine. They go away from God's word. Why? By refusing to accept the authority of the word of God. If you're going to have courage in your life, if you're going to be a person of courage, you need to build your life on the rock, on the thing that never changes. If you build your life on the opinions of others, you're going to frequently be changing. You're going to frequently be pulling, adjusting, changing, moving, because underneath of you, everything is constantly changing. On the Sunday where our church celebrated Pastor Appreciation Day, it was a weird roller coaster day for me because we're being given gifts. A man and I being handed things, notes, and said, Oh, Pastor, we love you, we care for you. And on the very next day, and sitting at IHOP in conversation with someone who says, well, I think I'm just going to go to a different church now. That's just the opinion of others. You're going to be tossed this way. You're going to always long for affirmation and approval. And when someone says, I'm doing something different other than what you would say or what you, or the way you would lead, then you're going to be turned upside down and you're going to be thrown about with this and with that. Build your life on the authority of the Word of God. Where do we get courage? We get courage from building our lives on the truth 
And what is truth? John says the truth is the Word of God. You can either build your life on the world, which is always shifting, always changing, or you can build your life on the Word. You can either build your life on what the world says is popular, what the world says is politically correct, or you can build your life on the Word of God. And in building your life on the Word of God, you're saying that I trust that God is good for His Word. I have no way of knowing what the future holds for you. I have no way of knowing what the future holds for me. You, you may by the end of the year lose everything you have. You may lose your parents. You may lose a sibling. You may lose a spouse. You may lose your dreams. You may lose your hopes. You may lose your a relationship that you're trying to cultivate. You, you, you may lose a variety of things. And all losses are painful. But over the course of your life, you will be brought back time and time again to what Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 3, lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. You want courage in today's world? Accept God's word as your authority. Second, develop the gifts that God has given to you. Need, if you want courage, accept God's word as, as your authority. Two, develop Develop, develop the gifts that God has given to you. This is what he says in verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth. Be thou an example of the believer in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Until I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and neglect not the gift that is in thee. He says develop it, cultivate it. You will spend the rest of your life Developing the gifts that God has given to you, or you at least ought to spend the rest of your life developing the gifts that God has given to you. This is part of the reason why you are here in this wonderful school. You're here to learn. You're here to develop. You're here to grow. I'm going to let you in a little secret. You have not learned it all. You do not know it all. In fact, if you think you know it all, no one likes you. Because no one likes a know-it-all. There is a sense in which the Christian life is one of constant learning. It's constant growing. It's constant striving. And in our day of technology, where we have so much at our disposal by way of teachers, by way of understanding, by way of commentaries and insights. We have more of this at our fingertips than at any other point in history. Are we still learning and growing? 
Having this much information at our fingertips also requires that we're, stu- that, that, we're, that we're students, not just who are learning and growing, but that we're students with discernment and judgment. It means recognizing that there are some, verse 1, verse 2, in the latter days who depart from the faith, who Give heed to seducing spirits who teach doctrines of devils who speak lies and hypocrisy. Not everyone talking about Jesus knows Jesus. Not everyone talking about heaven is going to heaven. Not not, not everyone preaching Christ is preaching the Christ of the Bible. Him that that was born of the Virgin Mary, who humbled himself, became man, took on flesh for us, lived perfect and sinless, died an atoning death on the cross, and then raised gloriously from the grave, ascended to the right hand at the throne of God, and there sits, ever making intercession for us with God. And one day soon, and I mean real soon, is coming back for us. Not everybody talking about Jesus knows Jesus. And so while we live in an age where there's an availability of information, it requires us to practice good discernment and accessing and reading that information is necessary for Timothy and it's necessary for me and you. We need to learn to develop the gifts. Never be content Never be content to just cover material. Never be content to just get through the outline. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon who said it ought to be a sin to bore a child with the word of God. I agree. We ought to make the scriptures come alive. You need to learn how to preach the word of God. There's no scientific formula for this, but I think it takes at least 300 sermons for you to know what kind of voice you have in preaching, for you to know what kind of style of a preacher you are, for you to really get to the place where you're comfortable in your own skin preaching God's word. This is why you ought to take every opportunity to preach. You ought to preach when they give you opportunities on the bus routes and the nursing homes and the teen programs. Why? Because you're trying to develop the gift You're trying to work it out. You need to learn to preach God's word with accuracy. You need to learn to preach God's word with the right application. You need to learn to preach God's word with engagement. You need to learn to teach if you're going to teach. You cannot teach if you do not have the information, if you do not know the formulas, if you are not aware of the theories. Maybe you're here to learn how to counsel. You need to learn how to counsel to direct people to the answer. It's not simply enough to to listen. Anyone can listen. You and I need to learn to direct, to guide them to the truth. We need to learn to listen in order that we might guide them to the truth. We, We need to learn to listen with an empathy and sympathy. But we need to learn to listen in such a way that we can lead them to the freedom that they long for in their marriage or with an addiction or, 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 or with their parents or their children. Develop the gift. You want courage? Develop the gift. I guarantee you there will be things that 
in ministry that you will face that college will not prepare you for. It cannot, it, there's not enough time. So while you are here, what you are learning while you are at West Coast is a way in which you can dig the answers out of the scriptures. Where you can get into God's word and you can be a Berean. And you can, notice what he says, verse 16, take heed to yourself, to your doctrine, continue in them, because in doing this you shall both save thyself and them that hear thee. While you're here, you should also be developing relationships with others, pastors, missionaries, teachers, faculty members. While you're here, you should be building a network of people that you can call one day in the future. That when you face something in ministry that you feel as if you are not equipped to be able to handle, you can go, ah, but I remember that time that the guy came through chapel. I'm going to call that fella and I'm going to ask him what he did when he faced that situation. That's what you ought to be doing. Lastly, on this point, if you need help, ask. If you need help, ask. If you're frustrated, if you're bothered, if you're tempted, if you're distracted, if you're weary, if you're tired, if you're angry, ask. Notice, you want, you want courage, accept God's word as your authority, develop the gifts God has given to you, refuse to be distracted. I've got to get out of the way here, but watch this. Refuse to be distracted. Look at verse 16. Take heed, Timothy. Take heed. Pay attention. Keep your eye on the prize. The easiest thing to do as a young adult is to get distracted. You get distracted with building your business. You get distracted with building your family. You get distracted with building your career. You get distracted with building your savings. There are more and more things to distract you than ever. You can waste your life watching YouTube videos. You ever gone down a YouTube video hole? Be honest, Jesus is watching. An hour and 45 minutes later, you're like, how did I get to this video of singing cats? And why can I not stop watching it? It's easy to be distracted, but you must refuse to be distracted. Keep your eyes on Christ. Take heed, Timothy. Pay attention, Timothy. Listen, 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 listen. Every person in the world would love to give you their opinion about what you should do with where you are in life. My wife says it like this. Opinions are like armpits. Everyone has a couple, and most of them stink. The whole world is trying to give you their opinion about what they think you ought to be doing with the season of life that you find yourself in. Listen, just get in God's word. Refuse to be distracted by all this stuff. 
yeah, but somebody added me, somebody messaged me, somebody DM'd me, somebody friended me, followed me. I don't know what they all are, but somebody did all these things to me. My kids told me the other day, I called it the Facebook. They said, Dad, you're not allowed to say the Facebook. I said, why? They said, because if you call it the Facebook, you're officially old. It's just Facebook. Oh, okay. But stay off the Facebook. It's distracting. Last one, give God your best. Need courage? Give God your best. He demands it. First, second, he deserves it. Ministry requires courage. Where will you find it? Where will you find the courage you need to press into the work that God has given us in this very unique hour to do?